you're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, and tonight we're here to talk about episode six of season two, Blood Sisters. And joining me to discuss, we have Mark. Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Barrett. It's good to be back, Jonathan. Good to be back to talk about Blood Sisters. How you doing, guys? And the professor himself, Nathan P. Butler. Hey, guys. Ready to discuss a female-centered episode when we have no females on the panel tonight? <laughs> Very true. But this is the episode that at least one of our panel has been waiting for. Barrett, why don't you kick us off and tell us what you thought of Blood Sisters? I'm not sure you want me to kick this one off. You know, I'm pretty positive about what's going on with Rebels and how they're walking this fine line, I've said. I've also said I want Sabine to get her jetpack. And I thought that we were going to see that. So I'm a little disappointed at that. But I'm going to get over that, the jetpack thing. And hopefully that'll come in the future. But we're going to talk about this new bounty hunter, Sabine's partner from the past. Who is she? You know, how does she fit into the whole thing? Her ship. It was an enjoyable, enjoyable show. But I, I you know, can we start something about a jetpack? You know, I see how people on the Internet start these Internet things, you know, hashtagging. I think I'm going to start a hashtag. Sabine needs her jetpack. <laughs> Mark, why don't you give us your thoughts about this episode? You know, this one was kind of run of the mill for me. I liked that it provided some background for Sabine, but outside of that, there wasn't that much going on. I mean, there were a couple moments where I thought we had some shipper action between Ezra and Sabine, and then it was like, wait, that didn't happen. And so, yeah, it was all right. Not the best, not the worst. And before I give my thoughts, Nathan, why don't you tell us what you thought of this episode? You know, for all the hype that this episode had about, you know, this is the big Sabine's background thing. It was kind of like Wings of the Master was for Hera, just a tiny step beyond that in that we got some hints as to her background, some further hints, but still we don't know a lot. We don't know the circumstances. We are being promised that we will learn more, but I guess I was looking for something more substantial with that. That said, I think the action plays out well for an episode that's basically centered around two characters coming together after being away from each other for a while. One thinking the other one, presumably at least for a while, was dead. There are certain story tropes they kind of had to hit that you see in any story like that, and they did. But it played out in a way that was pretty good. I'm not going to say it's the greatest episode of the season, but fairly solid for what it was and what it was trying to do. All right. Well, I think I may be the lone dissenter on this episode because while there were aspects of it that I really like, I mean, I've gone on record saying that Sabine is one of my favorite characters. However, this episode seemed very stilted. 
in some places. I kind of felt that there was a lot of potential here, much like Nathan said, that they could have done a lot with this episode. And some of it just kind of left me flat. I think maybe if they had turned this into a bit of a duology, it would have been more satisfying for me. And we'll get into it when we talk about the meat of the episode itself. But one thing that I had is that the reconciliation between Sabine and Ketsu was really quick. I mean, it's just like somebody flipped a switch, you know, oh, I guess we're friends again. And that, I mean, maybe it's the psychologist background in me, that grated on me. And it kind of just colored the whole episode. There were other parts of this episode that I absolutely loved. I mean, Chopper is in, you know, his rare form again. And I loved watching him kind of tear into the ship. And we get some nods to Star Tours again and the uh, Captain Rex, well, the other Captain Rex pilot droid. But overall, I think, oh, and I know our fans are probably going to be frustrated with me. I think this one was a bit of a miss. Got to agree. Okay, it's it's continuing with this pattern of you kind of have to go with it. It didn't explain where they met. And I was hoping to get some sort of Mandalorian kind of arc with it because Ketsu's armor kind of looks Mandalorian. I could go with that. Maybe a Mandalorian-ish bounty hunter. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. It, It didn't go enough. It had so much potential and it just didn't go far enough. Well, there were a couple parts that did that. I mean, when we get into it, Ezra gets kind of left behind mid-mission and yet, bam, he shows up. And there's like no resolution there. I almost was wondering, like, was that a strategic play? Were we going to get like a kid's book later or a tie-in where we get to find out where Ezra was during all that? You know, I know Clone Wars, they did play with the chronology by having the episodes out of order. So you could have like a toss back, but I don't see Rebels doing that. Like, you know, we've already had another episode that follows this that doesn't immediately make this one an arc. So it's like, I couldn't see three episodes from now. They're going back and going, oh, I remember when Ezra took off? Because me and my son, we were like, did he take the second shuttle that took off that Ketsu jumped on? There were a lot of questions all the way through this. And some angles... The way they pulled it off was nice. Sabine would talk to Ketsu about we were sisters, or or Ketsu would say we were sisters, called her little sister, and then Sabine goes, oh, no, we were like sisters. You know, so they would raise, you know, some information, and then they give you a little detail, but they left it pretty nebulous. They did, and that's why I think that this would have been perfect for a duology, because it really felt rushed. I mean, Mm -hmm. just rushed. I mean, we kick off the episode with Hera apparently embracing her new rank and her new role and she's giving other pilots directives to go get supplies for the group and she sends Sabine on this mission to go and connect with um, a courier that has information that needs to be passed on and Ezra almost kind of invites himself along and (laughs) you know I kind of this is where it kind of like I'm not sure how it fits with what we thought we had before because didn't you guys get the impression that Sabine and Ezra were, I guess, a little bit closer than what we see between them at, at the beginning here? I like the way it played out. Ezra had this whole little run-on conversation with himself as he's kind of having it with Sabine about being alone, her wanting to be alone. He always finds her alone. She always says to just leave her alone. And, uh, you know, he's rambling on and she's kind of like in her own head. Like, you know, we've had that established kind of 
do they or don't they? And you know, he clearly does. But I think at this moment, she's focused on the mission, you know? And I think that was my issue with her and why I didn't really care so much for this episode. Because like you, Jonathan, I'm a Sabine fan, but I felt like it could have done so much more. And it felt like she was so just kind of there for a lot of the parts. And I felt like hers was the role that they really could have filled out more. When Ezra falls behind, she's just kind of like, eh, and, and just rolls without him. And then Chopper falls behind. And then when she goes to pick him up, it's kind of like, well, Chopper, if you can catch up, you can make it on. But I'm not really going to stop for you. Then she does because she kind of feels like she needs to. But I don't know. All the way around, I just felt like she wasn't quite into it. Like her head wasn't in the game. But I think they did a, a clever enough way of doing it that it was like, well, there was a reason each time she was kind of out of it. At that moment, she was kind of, you know, thinking of where the mission was going to take her. Later, she's thinking about how she's going to get the courier, where she needs to get it. But there were just all these moments that kept making me stop and think about that. And I just felt like there was so much missed opportunity across the board. You know, I think that this may be an episode that is suffering from the expectation angle because a lot of the stuff that you guys found lacking, I really didn't. I mean, we get hints. It's it's laying seeds, right? It's laying groundwork. We get hints as to what went on with Ketsu and Sabine. Like, we know that Ketsu somehow was involved in the Academy, whether she was there or just helped Sabine get out of there. There's that angle to it. We know that Sabine then became a bounty hunter for a little while before she eventually joins up with the crew. And we found out in another book, I want to say it was her uh, her sketchbook, I think it was, that I believe it was Kanan that found her and brought her in. We've got Rebels Recon giving us some context here, basically saying that, yes, it's been established that you enter the Academy at age 15, but it's not so much that Sabine jumped in at 15 and now all of a sudden is with the crew at 16, but this idea that she was potentially a prodigy, that she would have been fast-tracked into the Academy at age 13, or as Pablo Hidalgo says, at least... I think it was Pablo, at least by 14. So she would have had basically about a year or so at the Academy, and then she gets out of there, becomes a bounty hunter for a little while, gets left for dead after something happens with Ketsu, presumably where Ketsu didn't leave her for dead herself so much as something happened and Ketsu thought she was dead and just took off or something. And then we've got Sabine with the Rebels, and now they're encountering each other again. I'm not sure that, that you said that the animosity got dealt with very quickly. I'm not sure how much of the animosity was really there. It was sort of more like a, oh, I see, I guess you've changed kind of thing, where as soon as they get back into a situation where they can fall into familiar patterns, they do. I mean, there are friends of mine from high school that I haven't seen except for maybe once or twice since 1998. And yet still, when we do get a chance to hang out, we fall very quickly back into those familiar patterns. But you get us talking about politics or something outside our familiar area on Facebook, and we'll start sniping at each other because it's just kind of human nature. It's kind of that, you know, adversarial type of thing with the people that you are closest to or have been closest to. I it, It's a, it's an episode that sets seeds for things in the future. I think we all expected to see things sprouting in this episode. But for an episode that laid the seeds, they did a pretty good job of getting that dynamic going. It just, it would have been nice to see it extended, to see more of it. But, you know, it's a 20, 25 minute episode. What are they going to do? Well, there's another point here, Nathan. It wasn't just that they fell back into familiar patterns. They fell back into their familiar pattern right after Ketsu tried to kill her. That if Chopper, and we'll get into this as we talk more about the episode, Chopper sabotages her guns. And that's the only reason that she doesn't open fire on Sabine's shuttle. But you notice that she had some questioning to her, right? I mean, she has changed. They've grown apart. And sure, Ketsu is, she's now working for the Black Sun. She's still a bounty hunter. She has this job to do. So, of course, she's got to be ruthless to an extent that you would think that maybe she'd think about 
attacking Sabine, but at least for a moment, you know know what? I don't know. Maybe I can't or whatever it is. Whenever Sabine blurts out, uh, I don't believe it or whatever that should have given away Chopper's presence. You can see a little bit of conflict in Ketsu, but you're right. She does finally decide to pull the trigger, but we don't know if she was going to blow up the shuttle, disable the shuttle. All we know is that she finally pulls the trigger after that conversation. And what is Star Wars without characters who have some moral conflict to them in their relationships? I don't know. I guess I'm seeing this in a better light. I still think it was kind of a run-of-the-mill episode in general. But I didn't really see a lot to pull apart about the episode. It just kind of followed a pattern that I expected rather than giving me any surprises. Okay, but Mm. the character arc for Ketsu gave me whiplash. Because literally, it was like two minutes after she was going to shoot at Sabine. for some, Well, actually, she had just shot at Sabine. She had just put a hole in Sabine's ship. And that's how Chopper ended up outside. And then all of a sudden, oh, I guess we're friends again. Ouch. I mean. Dude, teenage girls. <laughs> well, and then you got to wonder, too, you know, how old is Ketsu? When Ketsu pulled her helmet off, the way that scene played out, I was like, are we supposed to know her or recognize her from somewhere? You know, like. Did you guys get that impression when she took the helmet off? Like it was supposed to be a a big reveal that there was no reveal to, though? I definitely got that impression. And the one thing I kept thinking back to was they keep promising that Rebels kind of connects to Episode 7, to The Force Awakens. And I heard that early on. Do you guys remember them saying that, that Rebels will connect to Episode 7 in some way? So I was kind of hoping that she was, you know, you hear in Han Solo had this black wife and Obi-Wan, you know, originally some of the rumors were Obi-Wan's kid or maybe Maz Katna or something. Anyway, there's all these black people are being introduced in Star Wars, right? And they're related to people that we didn't know. I kind of felt that that's what it was supposed to be. It was like this some kind of lost Skywalker. Is this the character that it's supposed to be connected to Episode 7 somehow? Or have they just kind of let that go? But you're right, Mark. Are we supposed to know this person? And no, she looked nothing like who I thought it was. I even thought maybe it could be Ventress. You know, I know Ventress, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, is because you guys already said it's supposed to be dead. But, you know, maybe what if she's not? But who is this person? And and we're kind of promised that she's going to be back somehow. And why? Well, unfortunately, we do know now, though, that Han Solo's wife was just a ruse. Yeah, thanks, Marvel, for playing the sitcom BS instead of actually using the story point. Way to generate hype for a complete letdown. Now, there is a a minor connection here. The design of Ketsu Ono is actually an abandoned concept that was going to be in Episode 7. As Dave Filoni puts it, there's this, you know, basically a chance for him to go in and see all this concept art for Episode 7. And he gets to a point where he says, hey, is anybody using that? Anybody using that design? No? No? All right. And he was able to sort of take it and use it here. I don't think we were supposed to know her per se so much as it was so that, put it this way, it was the big reveal of the character that will matter to us later the more that we see them. So when we go back and rewatch, it's like, oh, look at this character. It's kind of like the big reveal of Ahsoka, where everybody's like, who is this scrawny little brat that I know I'm not going to like, at least initially? But I wonder if part of that is also, though, this was this was the guest star character, right? She takes off her helmet. ba it's Gina Torres from Firefly, even though she's animated and we can't tell that. I think the fact, though, can't be overlooked that as we're talking about, you know, the diversity and whatnot in Star Wars, we do have another strong female character here. 
right? We've got Hera within the crew. We've got Sabine within the crew. And most of our cast of characters around them, uh, and Ahsoka, most of the other cast of characters, for the most part, have tended to be men. And when we have seen women, they're either corrupt like the Seven Sister, or we've got a situation where it's someone like, what's her name, Minister Tua back on Lothal, who is particularly ineffective. And now here we have someone who's not a member of the crew, not technically a good guy, depends on the way you want to look at the character, she's kind of a gray area, but she is another strong female character. This is an episode that relies almost entirely on female characters, and that's a big step for Star Wars because you don't see that much. I mean, hell, it took until this year for Princess Leia to get her first ever miniseries on her own. A crappy one, but a miniseries nonetheless. So there are elements of this character that I think we're meant to go, ooh, but I don't see anything that's supposed to make us recognize the character up front. It's Sabine that needs to recognize the character up front. Now, I do think it was kind of fun how they introduced her. I mean, you see the artwork as they're traveling through the spaceport, and you know that Sabine sees that artwork and knows that something's up. She's almost preparing. And then they go and try to find the courier, which (laughs) I got to say, there's got to be a better way to finding a courier than wandering around in a spaceport bay asking every single person if it's a long way to Alderaan. I'm just thinking that that would have sent up some red flags. And as it turns out, it lets everybody know where they're going. Wait a second. One, it's a long way to Alderaan. Four years away. But that wasn't where they were going. They weren't going to Alderaan. That was the passphrase to get them to go where they were going. Where they go is Havoc Base, which has a name issue we're going to get to when we start talking about the ship. That looked like Alderaan to me. Didn't it look like Alderaan to you? No, I didn't catch that it was Alderaan they were going to. But that scene, honestly, that scene pissed me off. Okay, so they're walking around. That gonk droid was sitting there the whole damn time. Okay, what good is a courier droid that you have to be touching the damn thing for the code to work? And you don't tell the people that, oh, yeah, by the way, you're looking for a gonk droid that you have to touch. You'd be walking all day. That was the, the fact that the damn thing had to be touched just really set my nerves on fire. Because I was like, when I watched it the first time, didn't even catch it. The second time, I'm like, but it's right there. How is it not picking up on this? It is literally when Ezra sits on it and then says the passphrase, oh, wow. Then it comes to life. It's like, oh, my. I was, yeah, I was irritated at that. You know, this scene, this scene really lets me know that the Bothans must be geniuses because there's no way that these fools could ever get the Death Star plans the way that they have their intelligence going. So the Bothans must be geniuses when we finally get to see what they're like in Rogue One. Oh, now that see, that's a brilliant twist, Barrett. Like, okay, so if a regular person doing Sabine and Ezra's position was a Bothan, he might know that, hey, it's a courier because, you know, we're Bothan spies and we got extra tricks. Yeah, we don't but- tell the regular couriers that. Yeah, but when it comes to Bothan spies, keep in mind, we don't have any inkling in the canon that Bothan spies had anything to do with getting the plans for the first Death Star when Palpatine didn't want them to get it. The Bothan spies get the ones that Palpatine wanted them to have for Return of the Jedi, so maybe the Bothans aren't quite as good as their reputation in canon anymore either, but... I don't know, I think that the gonk droid thing was interesting because they did it sort of as a juxtaposition to Chopper, trying to give us two different droid characters where you can hear the beeps and bloops of what they say and not have to necessarily know the exact words to be able to follow them, kind of like we've been talking about with Chopper for so long. I found it was kind of funny, and maybe I'm the only one that caught this, but it seemed to me that it, since most of the time when we've seen gonk droids anywhere else, it's just gonk, 
gonk, and this time he was doing bleeps and bloops. He really reminded me a lot of, I believe the character was named Bit in Tron, the original Tron. Oh, yeah. Even the voice effect or the the sound effect sounded similar. Yes, 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 yes. yes. No, 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 no. Speaking of droids, though, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was Chopper. Okay, we've been watching Chopper do more and more stuff. He's very initiative-driven, but there's a moment where Ketsu orders him to break the ship off and leave Sabine behind, and he flat-out refuses, which had me stop and thinking for a moment about the fact, okay, we got a new canon here, and it seems like, compared to Legends, all droids are sentient. Do you, Are you guys getting that idea that unless... There have been specifics taken to strip that away that more droids being sentient is a thing. Because in the legend books, that was a rare occurrence. Granted, we did have quite a few of those rare occurrences. A lot of people really took appreciation to giving their droids personalities. But he flat out was disobeying commands from a from a person, which I don't know. Did that trip any flags for you guys? You know, I have to say it didn't. I've kind of just my own, I guess, and it, it's my own canon for droids is it all depends on how long you leave them without memory wipes on how much personality they develop. Well, I don't know. I, you know, you give C3PR a gun, he's going to shoot you in the back if you tell him that somebody else is your master. I mean, I don't think he's disobeyed anyone. So I think that you're right. This might be rare. What we know of Chopper might not be rare. We know he's, he has attitude. And he seems to have loyalty sometimes, and then sometimes he wants to kill you. So I I would say that I didn't notice it, but now that you bring it up, that this is probably pretty rare. They're supposed to listen to whoever is supposed to be the master, especially the humans or whoever's in charge. Well, that, but, I mean, there was the necessary concept back in A New Hope of a restraining bolt. These are droids that don't have restraining bolts on them, so they can act presumably how they please, if you want to use the phrase how they please in there. Uh, To Jonathan's point, that was the explanation we were given for the goofiness of a bunch of the battle droids. Was that they'd gone so long without memory wipes that they started to act somewhat eccentric. R2-D2 seems to be the exception that he doesn't wind up going all weird. He just gets old and his boosters stop working because they're out of warranty. In any case, let's get back to the introduction of Ketsu, because it's right after Ezra and Sabine discover that the gonk droid is the courier that Ketsu makes her appearance. Now, did she have any idea or was she – I kind of thought that she was waiting for them to discover, that she was almost shadowing them, waiting for them to make the connection, then swoop in and take possession. Oh, absolutely. I think when I looked at it, it was like she had a message that there was going to be a meet. You know, the rebel, the rebels, the rebels were going to be looking for the courier. And so she didn't know what the courier looked like. So she was just looking for that kind of trade off. I think, though, she got lucky that it happened to be Sabine. And the stormtrooper got lucky when she's chasing Sabine that she didn't put the blade through his balls because it certainly they they certainly played the joke with that. I like the fact when she's introduced, she's immediately put on there and she's made an equal to Sabine in terms of her combat abilities, in terms of her prowess. So we can sort of give her some props and get a sense of her being dangerous based on the fact that Sabine, as we know, has been very capable, very dangerous in the past. I thought that played out very well, the whole idea of them having to improvise and escape and get out of there. The only part of that scene that had me scratching my head was the whole uh, pilot, you know, uh, I'm a pilot, blah, 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 I will not take no for an answer. And there was nothing about the conversation that the droid was having with Sabine 
that had any relationship to any kind of question that would have no listed, where anyone ever said anything about no as an answer to the droid saying he won't take no for an answer. It's idiotic line that they then use multiple times while he wakes up. But they had to improvise, and that kind of left me wondering, you know, what exactly was the initial plan? Was she just going to bring the droid back to the ghost and they were going to take it to Havoc Outpost? Or is this something where Sabine's mission was to get the droid and go to Havoc? It didn't seem, at least in the initial conversation, there was nothing that sounded to me like that was their plan because there wasn't a ship there for them to take. She steals that shuttle because it's a matter of convenience. Sabine is very quick on her feet, and Ezra gets dropped off, winds up being left behind, and that requires her to be, you know, kind of tough on her feet, or to be able to be thinking well on her feet. That's not something, unfortunately, we've seen much with Sabine. This is an episode where finally Hera is putting trust in Sabine from way back in Out of Darkness, where there was that issue. You go to last episode, Wings of the Master, where she says, good thing you trust me. Now we see that trust in the mission, and it seems the trust was well-placed. She gets them out of the jam and still gets the mission done despite it all going to hell on her. Okay, well, one little wrench in your plans or your perception there, it isn't Sabine that decides to steal the shuttle. That's Ezra. He's the one who tells Hopper to get the boxy guy on the ship, and he's the one who almost instigated Sabine flies the shuttle away. He gets knocked off, but no, that was Ezra, not Sabine. She still pulls it off, though. She pulls a lot off, but that's where I started to question, you know, how cutthroat she was. I mean, I'm a big fan of Sabine, but when she left Ezra behind, I was like, wow, like, did they have a contingency plan for that? I mean, apparently they did. He shows up at the end, but I don't know. The second shuttle that lifted, I was like, was that Ezra? I, Me and my son, we were watching it over and over again, and we're like, there was no answer to that, man. That doesn't make any sense as well, because when Ketsu is first introduced, what does Sabine do? Sabine kind of circles around and protects Ezra. So for her to just kind of leave him behind, whiplash, Jonathan, like you said, whiplash. She doesn't leave him behind on purpose. He falls. She's surprised when it turns out that Ezra's not there. She cuts the planet. I was kind of shocked that she just left for orbit, though. I'm like, I would have, I don't know. I thought she'd have circled around or something. I mean, she was just like, okay, we got to go. But she didn't know it. Didn't it take Chopper to tell her that Ezra wasn't there? And by that point, they're already leaving. I didn't catch that. I just kind of thought, well, okay, I'm sure he'll be fine. And she kept going. (laughs) So can we talk about the ship a little bit? This was something that rubbed me the wrong way just recently. I love the design and the look of Ketsu's ship, the Shadowcaster. But as much as I've given praise recently to Rebels Recon, for instance, of giving us the answer about the Rebels and what kind of ships they were using and that sort of thing, and they even gave us in next week's Rebels Recon the answer about the whole 14, 15, 16 age thing with Sabine and her background that clarified stuff for this episode... They basically gave a middle finger of omission to the Legends continuity this week. Very similarly to the thing where they did, you guys may remember, they put out the Blu-ray set of Season 3 of The Clone Wars and had a whole featurette about the Night Sisters. And Katie Lucas is going on and on about how, you know, she based their personalities on these warrior women in this book that she read and blah, blah, blah. And not one damn time do they mention in that entire featurette that the Night Sisters, Dathomir, the idea of Force Witches, all came from Dave Wolverton years ago. Basically, they took credit, more or less, for creating the Night Sisters. That has always rubbed me the wrong way, and they do that about a quarter of the time in the behind-the-scenes stuff. If it's Pablo or Dave Filoni, they're out there talking about, we got this from Legends and given credit where credit is due, as they will with the Interdictor next week. But in this episode, you got all this concept art, 
in the episode guide on StarWars.com, and it says, well, the Shadowcaster is actually based on the design of the Banshee, a ship that we would have seen Asajj Ventress using in Clone Wars had it continued, a story and ship that wound up appearing in the novel Dark Disciple. And they constantly, every time there's a picture of the Shadowcaster in the concept art, it says Banshee, parentheses Shadowcaster, over and over again. They are very excited about the fact that this is a ship they saved from the Clone Wars, as if that's where they designed it, which is bull. This ship is the Havoc. It's a, a Skurg H6 bomber that was introduced back in 2001 in the Starfighter video game by LucasArts. It was Nim's ship. Only reason I recognize it is it just came out for Star Wars Armada this week as a miniature that you can use to play in that game. Otherwise, it would have slipped past me. But this is the Havoc. This isn't something they made for the Clone Wars or they made for Rebels. And saying they got it from Rebels from the Clone Wars is disingenuous and giving a middle finger to the Legends continuity not to say where it actually was from. And you know they knew where it was from because somebody actually in the episode decided, hey, the ship was the Havoc? We're going to call the place they go Havoc Outpost. No way you can tell me that that was some kind of accident or coincidence. On the crew they knew... Whoever put together the episode guide either didn't know or didn't care to look and do any research into what they were talking about. So once again, Legends Continuity gets a big middle finger from someone behind the scenes who isn't willing to say where a source actually came from. Love the design. Pissed me off. Interesting. I didn't catch that, but now that I'm looking at the Havoc, you're right. That is almost exactly the same ship to a... Wow. Okay. Yeah, I have to give you props there, Nathan, because, I mean, I played that game way back when, but it didn't occur to me when you started talking, I went and I looked at it and yeah, it, it's pretty obvious well, and it's, well, it is kind of a, I mean, come on, let's give credit where credit is due. Yeah, well, thanks to Fantasy Flight Games, I wouldn't have had any idea. It was the only ship in the new Rogues and Villains miniature pack that wasn't readily recognizable to be. I was like, I know I've seen this somewhere. So I took a look, it's the Havoc, and sure enough, it's the exact same ship. And as soon as I saw that, I started seething because they did it again. They, How do you give credit for the holocrons and give credit for the interdictor and this and that and then other stuff? As long as you can claim that it came from something else you made, you just completely ignore where it really came from. I, I really hope that that was an oversight by someone working on the website who didn't know what they were talking about, as opposed to it being something where someone who should have known better, like a Pablo, where someone was feeding information to the site and never mentioned it. Well, and the fact that, like you said, the base was Havoc base too. I mean, the, the coincidences are too many. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, back to the episode itself. After Sabine steals the ship and Ketsu is chasing her, we get that confrontation in space. This part I did kind of enjoy because, well, Chopper tearing apart Ketsu's firing control. That was the laugh out loud moment for me for this episode. That was great. A chopper's space flight looks cool. I had that moment though where I was like, okay, he did this like 180 flip. And I'm a big fan of the reimagination of Battlestar Galactica and the way the Vipers would use little air jets to spin the ships in space. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, how is he doing this with just the one rocket? Like, like how is he navigating? I mean, he's using his hands more. Like, everything about Chopper is being more of an actual person. And when they first rolled him out, they were like, he's like the cat to R2's dog. And you're like, but R2's a lot more than just a dog. And now you're seeing Chopper be a lot more. I mean, I like the fact that he's kind of taking a shiny to Ezra and Sabine in this way like he's like looking out for the kids but yeah the manacleness of him in this episode just this cracked me up when he started tearing things apart and he leans over and he's laughing and he's got the bundle of wires 
Yeah, and he, he's throwing parts over the shoulders he doesn't have, you know, just as like an F you. So it's so much personality coming out in Chopper right now. It, it was pretty funny. I think Chopper's the, the moment that actually caused me to crack up with Chopper wasn't even Chopper's movements himself. It's and it's in this scene. It's where Chopper is using his rockets. And he's trying to get back aboard the ship with Sabine. And sure enough, Ketsu locks on with a tractor beam. And I that's such a creative way of pulling that off. For some reason, it never would have occurred to me use the tractor beam to grab the droid and then use the droid as the bait to bring her back around. But as soon as that tractor beam locked, I'm like, oh, Sith, so to speak to myself and started laughing that that's such a brilliant and easy solution. It gets that issue that, that I think me and Jonathan have of when did Ketsu switch sides? Because the Imperials show up, they start blasting Sabine's ship, they get Sabine off, she's got all the power. She's got exactly what she needs. She could fly right to where she wants to and all she says later is that it's only money. It's like, what really made her change her mind about what happened? Because Chopper decided not to do it? I mean, it didn't seem like it was that big a moment when he denied her. That's what threw me off. What about you, Jonathan? Oh, completely agree. I was trying to figure out where this character arc came from because it it seems like something's missing. It seems like there was a chunk of character development or interaction between Ketsu and Sabine that that was missing that would have given some ownership or some credibility to this shift. Because when they start this conversation, you know, this space battle and they're talking back and forth. Ketsu is talking about how she loves being with Black Sun because she has the power and she's feared and she has the best weapons and the best ship. And at the end, like you said, oh, it's only money. Well, okay, give me some explanation for that. Give me some reason. And also, how did she exactly know that pulling Chopper was going to make Sabine give way or, you know, at least talk to her? Because based on what she said, the Sabine that she knew wouldn't have done that. But she did. You know, she said, you, you know, you were always soft or whatever it was that she says. You know, she says something along the lines of basically, you know, I knew you well enough that you were going to come back for him. You know, you were soft. And I think that kind of plays into why, I guess, as much as it did seem like a quick 180, maybe about as quick as Anakin pulling a 180 in Revenge of the Sith, it seemed like it was okay for me because I never really felt like once Sabine and, and Ketsu had reunited or whatever you want to call it, encountered each other again and were in space and we saw that conversation in which it seemed like Ketsu, while still pulling the trigger, had had some moments of wondering about it herself, whether she could do it. It kind of felt to me like Ketsu wasn't going to go through with this and take it to its bad end. I mean, you get that her under, it's sort of one of those things where if it had been anyone else, sure, she would have done it. But it seems like because it's Sabine, that has changed things. And she's kind of soft on the inside. And you can tell that her connection with Sabine is still there. Because, I mean, as soon as they get the ships linked together and they're supposed to do this trade or whatever, Sabine's standing there, gonk droids in the background. Not walking up with Sabine, she's like, yeah, you're blah, 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 but you're not gonna give me the droid, are you? You know, I was like, she knows immediately what Sabine's going to do. It's kind of like she's, they're, I don't say they're falling back into old patterns so much as they know each other too well. You know what I mean? It's like you can't have an, a longstanding argument with a really old friend because there will come a point where you just know each other too well and you're just like, yeah, dude, I knew what you meant. I didn't mean to be a douchebag about it. I knew what you meant the first time I was just screwing with you, you know? I don't okay. know that there has to be a moment where she changes her mind unless the moment of her changing her mind, in a sense, is realizing that it's Sabine that she's up against as opposed to it being a moment of changing her mind later in the episode. It doesn't seem like her heart is in it, so to speak. 
Well, no, that works for me. If the moment when she says you're not going to change your mind, if that's the moment where she decides it's not worth the money, you know, we got the empire on our back. I, I can buy that. I can buy it too. I just would have preferred a little bit more explanation or at least something laid out there a little bit better than it was. As I said, I'm going to stand by it. I think this would have been a great two-part arc. And I think, you know, given some of the other stuff we've gotten this season, I would have preferred less time dedicated on those and maybe more dedicated on this. Because, I mean, based on even our group, Sabine is a fan favorite, and we really want to know more about her, and this would have been a really good opportunity. The one positive thing is that I think we all know, and it's pretty much telegraphed in the episode itself, that we're going to see more of Ketsu, and as a result, we're going to learn more about Sabine's backstory, and we're going to learn more about how Sabine and Ketsu broke out of the Imperial Academy, and how Sabine was a bounty hunter for a period of time, and how Ketsu left her for dead. We're going to have to know that, and I'm pretty sure, or at least I'm hopeful, that we'll get that information before the end of this season. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we're going to see more of this. So for me, this episode, I mean, this is the lady in the grocery store with the little cup of samples, you know? And, oh, you can have the sample, but you're going to have to wait or buy if you want some more. In this case, fortunately, we're buying it with time of waiting instead of, you know, having to you know, go buy a book or something to find out more about her background. I'm willing to wait. It's nice that they at least gave us some hints here. It still feels like it's a little more substantial than what we got with Hera last week in her supposed backstory episode. So I'm fairly pleased with what we learn and would like to see this fleshed out a bit more than it was. I think it was Jonathan that said there were seeds being planted here. And, and that's what I really think this was. Uh, you know, I feel like for Sabine, you know, I've been waiting for more and we're getting that to a degree, but it's a small seed. We've seen some sneak peeks ahead uh, where we see her talking about her clan and stuff. So we have an idea where that's going to end up going. I don't know. I think I think right now this is just a seed and where it will branch. We'll find out. Final thoughts. A lot of potential. Could have had more. Like the design of Ketsu, like the design of the ship, had some questions, weren't answered. I'm okay with it. I'm a fan. Go Rebels. What else can I say? Should have had a jetpack. Yeah, I don't like it. They should have had the jetpack, man. But, you know, it wasn't the Mandalorian background that I thought that we were going to get. It's just some kind of mm -hmm. scrambled together, half-assed bounty hunter background that I still don't really believe. You know, it's kind of still hard for me to believe that Sabine is this hard-ass bounty hunter. I mean, bounty hunters are supposed to be some of the toughest people or things, beings in the galaxy, and Sabine just doesn't come off like that, you know, especially if she has some kind of feelings for this little boy who hasn't hit puberty yet. So I'm hoping that we'll get more. You know, this oh. wasn't what we were expecting. So there's hope for the future. Speaking of hope, Baron, you gave me the, there was one little smoking gun in the whole Sabine and Ezra shipping that I so love. She dished with Ketsu about Ezra. And I wish we had a female on here because I'm pretty sure that's big. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of a big deal. Whatever. She's like, oh, she told me all about you. I'm like, oh, no. And it was and it wasn't a oh, yeah, she told me all about you. It was more of kind of a. Oh, really? Type of thing. Although, Barrent, I will say, in Sabine's defense of not being the hard-ass bounty hunter, I have one word for you to prove that not all bounty hunters are that good. Greedo. Yes, he said Greedo. 
Yeah, but all that legend stuff with Greedo don't count no more. What I know of Greedo is he was bold enough to walk up to Han Solo and was going to take him captured. So as far as I know, Greedo's a badass. The legends don't count no more. Yeah, but he still sucked in Clone Wars and got the crap beat out of him by Anakin Skywalker now, now that that actually is supposed to be him. So mm. <laughs> anyway... I think all around, I think we're all hoping for more out of the background here, but I think we all kind of assume that we're going to get more, so... Another Stepping Stone episode, the way that we characterized Wings of the Master. And I think we're all looking forward to next week's episode, Stealth Strike. Until then, I want to thank you guys for joining me to discuss this one. And again, I think I'm hopeful that we will get some resolution a little bit later in the season. But until next time, guys, long live the Rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit republicforces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved.